North Korea today is a declared nuclear power with a viable and standalone nuclear deterrent. Did it acquire this status independently or did it receive help from some other nations? Was Pakistan one of the two countries that helped North Korea dodge sanctions and become a nuclear power? And did North Korea provide ballistic missiles and their technology to Pakistan in a quid pro quo? Did China broker this trade? The Pakistanis decided that they will employ every means possible uh, to go nuclear, uh, that uh, if that required deception, it required setting a network for smuggling, uh, for doing things that were break, uh, which involved breaking laws. If it required setting up a front bank, uh, which would assist in the transfer of funds. If it required pandering to the greed of Western companies, they would do so. Uh, Indeed, uh, if you talk to many Pakistanis today uh, who are or who have held important positions, uh, they are not uh, in any way shy of uh, acknowledging what they did. In fact, if anything, they take pride. They say that uh, if national security requires that these tactics be employed, then so be it. Dr. A.Q. Khan, who is regarded by a large section of the Pakistanis as a national hero for bringing strategic uh, parity in South Asia, has been treated very harshly. And there are some critics of government's policy in Pakistan on that issue. In my interviews with the concert government officials, I was confronted with the evidence and the findings, and I have voluntarily admitted that much of it is true and accurate. Despite Dr. Khan's unprecedented confession on Pakistani television on 4th of February 2004, many believe, both within and outside Pakistan, that he was made a scapegoat for successive governments and army administrations that have been party to the export of nuclear technology. The confession appeared choreographed only because the whole matter became public with the expose in the world media of the extent of Pakistan's nuclear proliferation to North Korea, Iran. Libya and Syria. The Libyans were the first to blow the whistle on the Pakistanis. Most hard-nosed observers dismissed official claims of the Pakistani army being unaware of Dr. Khan's freelance marketing of nuclear secrets, particularly since there was also a close political relationship between Pakistan and these countries. This meant that if Dr. Khan were put on trial, paradoxically, for implementing state policy, he could well take down some major military figures with him. In the minutes to follow, we will reconstruct this whole sinister story of stealth, intrigue and deception with the help of experts and reconstruction of events. The Pakistan army remains the Pakistan army. And it's irrespective of whether General Zia is in control or General Musharraf is in control or General Kiani came to control and uh, or Raheel Sharif or the present dispensation or General Bajwa also, they all were the same. It appears that there was an exchange between Pakistan and North Korea with respect to missile technology going one way and nuclear information or technology and I don't know how much uh, may have transferred whether it was technology, blueprints, materials and equipment or what but there seems to be a very strong belief that there was a, an exchange, a border arrangement if you will, uh, between Pakistan and North Korea at some time in the past and probably not that many years ago. There's pretty strong evidence that Pakistan, either officially or unofficially, um, gave North Korea uh, classified gas centrifuge information. Uh, they may also have provided uh, ongoing technical assistance, I and mean, building a centrifuge is quite complicated. 
and you will, and people developing centrifuges often have questions they need answered. And, and it may be that Pakistani scientists played a role in answering uh, questions as they came up. Uh, we also think that Pakistan may have been a source of um, either centrifuge components or dual-use equipment to make centrifuge equipment uh, components. Um, and that, and that uh, so in general we think Pakistan was a major provider of the technology and perhaps some of the uh, actual components of centrifuges and, and perhaps um, um, some dual-use equipment to make centrifuge uh, components. Well, it means that, that the Chinese allowed overflight rights to the Pakistani C-130s and refueling, you know, and they were allowed to make refueling stops. Does that mean the Chinese government knew necessarily what was happening? Probably. Uh, probably Chinese intelligence knew that missiles were being transferred. Well, in the first place, uh, the North Koreans and the, the Pakistanis cannot run a cargo plane from each other's capital without stopping to refuel in China. So that is uh, the first indication. The second indication is that there are certain critical parts that are necessary for the North Korean long-range missile program that have to be made in China, we believe, and there are also critical parts for the enriched uranium uh, program that have to be made in China. So we believe that the cargo planes were coming uh, from uh, Pakistan, they picked up some parts in China, went on to North Korea, and in reverse they picked up other parts on the, right, on the way back to uh, Pakistan. The Pakistani Air Force's C-130s flying out of Chakalala near Islamabad would take this route over Tibet to Lanchao for refueling and then they would follow the corridor straight through to Pyongyang. It is anybody's guess whether a cargo got loaded at Lanchao. The possibility is always there, as Bill Triplett points out. The return journey would involve backtracking along the same route. How were these flights tracked 25 years ago? Part of the monitoring used to take place from the Indian Air Force's radar and electronic signal gathering station at Patni Top, high in the Himalayas in Kashmir. In those days, all Pakistan Air Force radio and traffic signal emanating from airfields like Islamabad and Kohat, among others, were tracked from Patni Top. This provided the first line of intelligence on flights through to China. These were unusual flights for the Pakistanis because their regular flights to China was essentially to Chengdu to pick up aircraft spares. Alpha one, one, five, alpha six, this core intel was presumably shared by the Indians with the Americans who then deployed more sophisticated means to track these flights. This is Alpha Cubic 1. We are ready to start motors. Walaikum Salaam, Alpha Cubic 1, you are clear to start. Go ahead, Alpha Cubic 1. Redman clears Alpha Cubic 1 to Lima Charlie in Lanchao, China via flight plan route. Please change over to Northern Radar after you take off. Even after monitoring these flights, U.S. intelligence agencies were helpless bystanders who watched silently as the Pakistan Air Force used U.S. gifted C-130s to conduct Pakistan's deadly barter with North Korea because Pakistan was an ally of the U.S. in the war against terror. Redmond Control, Alpha Cubic 1 is now changing over to Northern Radar. You are clear, Alpha Cubic 1 and Kudahabe. According to the CIA National Intelligence Estimate submitted to President Bush in June 2002, Pakistani-built uranium centrifuges, which are slim cylinders six feet high, were shipped by the thousands in the C-130s to Pyongyang. The CIA report estimated that with the few thousand centrifuges delivered by Pakistan to North Korea, over three warheads a year could be built with enough fissile material left over to sell to other terrorist organizations like Al-Qaeda. Lima Charlie, 
This is Alpha Cubic 1. We are now climbing through 11,000 feet and ready to change over to Tango X-ray. Alpha Cubic 1, you are clear to change over the route and goodbye from us. Tango X-ray Pyongyang. This trade might have continued unimpeded had it not been for calculated leaks to the press from the U.S. intelligence community, which was alarmed at the inertia of the State Department in not cracking down on Pakistan at the time when this trade could have been effectively disrupted. Thereafter, the Pakistanis stood exposed, though hardly censured. And uh, so the nuclear weapons, the West turned a blind eye to nuclear weapons because of... Uh, the frontline role that Pakistan played in that Cold War theater in Afghanistan from 1979 right up to 1988. Roger, clear to 100,000 feet on QNH 9999, and now we are changing over to radar. Good day, Alpha Cubic 1. Tango extra radar. Good morning, this is Alpha Cubic 1. Alpha Cubic 1, teach easy Tango X-ray, Radha, you are clear for a straight in POR approach for runway 09. Roger, clear for a straight in approach, runway 09. Alpha Cubic 1. Bill Triplett was unwilling to disclose who and how the US tracked these flights. I'm not permitted to tell you. The National Reconnaissance Office is a super-secret U.S. government agency that became declassified in 1992. Till that time, it never even existed. The NRO's satellites tracked the Pakistani C-130s all the way from Islamabad to Pyongyang and back. This evidence was the equivalent of the Rosetta Stone in convincing the U.S. of this barter trade. This satellite photograph of Pyongyang Airport is a declassified variant taken via a U.S. military satellite in 2003, who very kindly provided this image. This photo of Pyongyang Airport shows a C-130 parked next to two Russian IL-76 jet transports that were sold to the North Koreans by the Russians. Interestingly, there is another IL-76 parked a little distance away. It is anybody's guess who the plane belongs to. It could belong to the Chinese. The resolution of this picture does not permit a further close-up to ascertain the aircraft's markings. The establishment of that degree of conclusiveness is left to the NRO. Our experts confirmed that the aircraft circled in red and parked next to the two IL-76s was a C-130. China has had a very long and intimate relationship with North Korea. There are many things about North Korean policy that China does not like, but China has had a long-standing policy of supporting the North Korean state to keep a buffer state like North Korea on its northeastern border to prevent a collapse of North Korea that would lead to Korean unification with U.S. troops still on Korean soil. Bill Triplett, who co-authored the book Red Dragon Rising with Ed Timberlake, has identified the People's Liberation Army's chief spymaster, General Xiong Guangkai, as the person in charge of the People's Republic of China's dealings with North Korea on missiles and nuclear matters. A secret protocol was signed by the two countries in May 1996. In fact, General Xiong Guangkai has a famous quote on this subject. The Chinese and North Koreans are in the relationships of lips and teeth, and the peoples and armies of the two countries have a blood-tied relationship. I think we can certainly say that the Chinese have made an effort to have what they call clean hands. That is, they go through surrogates so that they will not be blamed directly for things arriving. Now, in some cases, for example, in Pakistan, with the shorter range uh, ballistic missiles, they exported those things directly to Pakistan, as everyone knows, the so-called M11 and M9 program. When you get into the longer range missiles, such as the ones the North Koreans have produced, uh, again, certain critical parts of these come from, uh, from China, we believe. 
The North Koreans then had five types of operational land-based ballistic missiles in active use. These were the Scud-B, Scud-C, Nudong and Taipo-Dong-1 and 2. The last has a range of over 2,500 miles. All five of these missiles were provided to Pakistan. The North Korean and Chinese closeness goes back to the Korean War, when Chairman Mao lost his son fighting back the US advance up the Yalu River, North Korea's border with China. In fact, the Yalu River is out of bounds to foreign diplomats and there is speculation that, in the past, Chinese missiles crossed the Yalu by barge and then were loaded onto North Korean ships bound for the Middle East. General Xiong Guangkai, uh, he is the Deputy Chief of Staff for uh, Intelligence, but he has a much wider role than simply as an intelligence analyst. Uh, we think he is an operational person. Uh, for example, he is the person who signed uh, various defense agreements uh, with Pakistan in the spring of 2002. The general is probably the case officer for this trade. Uh, because of the fact that he shows up at critical times in North Korea, he shows up at critical times in Pakistan. In fact, when confronted about Beijing's uncompromising support for Pakistan, Xiong Guangkai famously said, Pakistan is China's Israel. To the principle of gaining the initiative by striking second, that means we will never fire the first shot. Well, I think certainly um, there is a grand plan uh, that China has had since at least uh, the late 1940s, maybe 1950 onward, uh, with regard to encircling uh, India. And I think if you start and look at their activities, uh, taking over Tibet, their uh, military technology uh, training in the, in the neighborhood of India, including, interestingly enough, right up the uh, east coast of Africa, you will find uh, lots of uh, visits by military officers, uh, they pay money and so forth and so on. We also know that in all probability Pakistan received great help from China in mastering the weaponization of the uh, uh, nuclear device. Indeed may have obtained a copy of the 1966 model of the Chinese bomb. These shots show the mineshafts and the hill in the Chagai area of Baluchistan near the Afghan border where the Pakistani nuclear device was detonated in May 1998, right after the Indian tests. After conducting the Pakistan nuclear test, the Pakistani team of scientists returned to delirious crowds at Islamabad airport. And this test has directly taken us to the weaponization stage. The nuclear explosions of Pakistan of 28th May and 30th May have helped to establish military and political parity between Pakistan and India. And we feel this is again a major development which has qualitatively altered the life and destiny of the 1.2 billion people of South Asia. Pakistan today successfully conducted five nuclear tests. The results were as expected. There was no release of radioactivity. I congratulate all Pakistani scientists, engineers and technicians for their dedicated teamwork and expertise in mastering complex and advanced technologies. The Pakistanis turned the, an aspect of the nuclear doctrine on its head. If you study the period of the Cold War in its entirety, the Americans and the, Russians, the Soviets played games all over, and they were involved in a terrible struggle, ideological and power. But they never, never were adventurous on each other's territory. 
the one time when things became very, very tense and, and troublesome, apart from 1962, which is Cuba, was 1987, which was the Abel Archer exercise. But um, apart from that, they took great pains in ensuring that uh, there was no, uh, no aggravation no escalation on either Soviet territory or American territory, or for that matter, the territory of each other's close Western allies. The Pakistanis, on the other hand, having acquired uh, the nuclear umbrella, turned this doctrine on its head and used it as a shield to, uh, to engage us. North Korea adapted and reverse-engineered Pakistani-supplied nuclear components and technology to leverage itself with respect to the U.S. The fact that there were North Koreans at the Pakistani test site um, came from reports from uh, embassies in Islamabad, European em a European embassy. And so, you know, is it true or not? I mean, I don't know, but it, it was it came out of out of an embassy in uh, uh, in from Pakistan, and it was it was a report back to its uh, capital, and so it was believed by the government people. Kim Sinei, wife of the economics counselor at the North Korean embassy in Islamabad, Kang Tae-yun, was murdered on 9th June 1998, just days after the Pakistani nuclear test, as reported in the Sunday Telegraph in its issue dated November 1st, 1998, in a story filed by Julian West. Kim was murdered because she was suspected of providing details of the North Korean-Pakistani barter to British intelligence. So, do you have the film? Yes. I want to see. The arrangements are almost complete. I'll be in touch. Okay. Bye. Bye. Kim and her husband, Kang, both closely worked with leading figures of the Pakistani nuclear establishment. Though under diplomatic cover, Kang actually worked for Changwang Singyong Corporation that manages North Korea's nuclear infrastructure. Sit, Mr. Kang. Thank you, Dr. Khan. So, how are things with you? Very well. Thank you. Unfortunately, I have some very disturbing news for you. What news, Dr. Khan? Please, see these photographs. You will recognize that they are of your wife, Kim. Are you sure, Dr. Khan? Taken this morning, Mr. Kang, in the Margala Hills area. The man is a first secretary in British High Commission and the MI6 resident in Islamabad. The arrangements are almost complete. I'll be in touch. Bye. Our intelligence tells me that she was planning to take you along with her. If that is not true, Mr. Kang, then you have to prove your loyalty. You have to do it yourself. So what have you decided? My information is that she's planning to defect along with a lot of sensitive information about our two countries. I have informed your superiors and they told me that she has to be eliminated immediately. Yes. Dr. Khan, my duty is to serve my great leader. I will do what you say. Where are you coming from? 
Why? Just from the bazaar. Are you sure? <laughs> Why? Do you doubt me? I doubt all those who betray our great leader. What do you mean? What were you giving him? I was suffocated and I wanted to buy all children. Come. What is he doing with her? It is you or her. So fast! I not to you goodbye? No, there are no goodbyes. Kim's death was largely ignored until Japanese intelligence confirmed that a prototype centrifuge was smuggled with her coffin on a special flight and the CIA later obtained details. Kang left Islamabad soon after murdering his wife. The Pakistan-North Korea barter was initially conducted by sea through innocuous cargo vessels that regularly plied between the two countries with fake manifests concealing their actual cargoes. In the initial years, intelligence on this undercover trade was limited and no one in the Clinton administration was willing to believe the scraps of intelligence that were periodically thrown out. 9-11 changed the U.S. perception of traditionally turning a blind eye to Pakistani indiscretions. Here you see the Indian Navy conducting an exercise in April 2003 to intercept a Korean ship in the Arabian Sea, allegedly carrying ballistic missiles for Pakistan. Good afternoon, gentlemen. The briefing for this sortie is the interception of Korean ship carrying weapons of mass destruction. The situation on hand, gentlemen, is that the Korean ship set sail from Al Qadar. The ship is masquerading as MV Cosmos, carrying critical components of weapons of mass destruction for an unfriendly neighborhood. The mission, gentlemen, on hand is to locate and shadow MV Cosmos and thereafter shepherd our own surface forces for interception and boarding. Gentlemen, MV Cosmos looks something like this. It has got four derricks in the forward part of the ship. The deck is painted gray in color, shipside black and red combination, one funnel in the aft, and a superstructure in the aft. Weather in the area is expected to be pre-snoptic monsoon conditions. With haze developing in the afternoon, the code word is Curie. Right, gentlemen, happy hunting. Control, this is a blue dragon. Motors running. Blue Dragon, this is Control. You are clear to taxi for runway 01. Blue Dragon to Flight Plan Curie. Roger. Flight Plan Curie. Blue Dragon is now ready for takeoff. You are clear for takeoff. Runway 01. All throttles 40. All throttles 40. Roger. Contact right ahead. Seems to be a large merchant vessel 
of about 200 meters with red and black colors and daring. It has a funnel on the F section. Flightmaster, can you please see if you can read the name on the side of the ship? Roger. Range 9 kilometers to target. Roger. Roger, contact. Confirm Cosmos. Maintaining 200 meters over flying contact. Stand by for overheads. Roger, standing by. Overhead, now, now, now. Through the 90s, and particularly after signing the agreed framework with North Korea in 1994, which prohibited it from developing nuclear weapons via the plutonium enrichment route, the Clinton administration behaved like an ostrich and didn't want to know about this barter, which was going to have serious strategic implications for the US in the future. After 9-11, the US began to put together all the pieces of this Chinese jigsaw. As far as the Indian Ocean and the Arabian Sea are concerned, the US delegated the security of this region to the Indian Navy, which now escorts US merchantmen through the Indian Ocean and also intercepts suspicious merchant ships. But the trade went on till the autumn of 2003, and so did the triangular relationship between the Chinese, Pakistanis and North Koreans. State 1, condition Zulu, hands to action stations, and all positions report to bridge. Vessel at 150 degrees, doing course 140. This is Coast Guard vessel calling. Come in, please. Good evening, sir. Give me channel, please. This is Coast Guard 34. Which ship? Where bound? MB Cosmos, sir. Pound for Chibuti. Name of master and his nationality. Master name Kim Siang. Belong to Korea, sir. Length of vessel and nature of cargo carried. 189.8 meters, sir, and going class two. Thank you, motor vessel Cosmos. I have a reason to believe that you are not on Belas, as your load line is pretty low. Request alter course to 140 and proceed to anchorage of Marma Goa. Cannot do so because I am behind the schedule, sir. Negative, negative. Comply to my orders. Or else I will be compelled to engage. Compelled to engage. No, no, sir. No engage, sir. Proceeding as order, sir. Roger. This is Coast Guard 34. I am following you. Establish channel to aircraft and alter course to intercept the vessel. Starboard 10, next course 320. Very good. Get ready boarding party to board MB Cosmos. Aye, aye, sir. Commodore Ranjit Rai, formerly of the Indian Navy. I'm on board CGS Vijaya, a Coast Guard ship pennant number CG34, and we just got back from a sortie from the Arabian Sea. You have just seen a simulated exercise of the Coast Guard intercepting a North Korean vessel carrying missile componentry for Pakistan. It was in July 1999 that a similar ship of the name Ku Wulsan was seized and the missile componentry bound and meant for Pakistan was confiscated. The Ku Wal San began its journey from Nampo port sometime in May 1999. First unloading a cargo at Bangkok and then carrying a cargo of sugar to Kandla port from Bangkok.
Its ultimate destination listed on the manifest was Malta. Inquiries revealed that the Maldives address was fake and the unlisted cargo of active missile components and personal items for North Korean scientists that was discovered on the basis of an intelligence tip-off was actually meant for Karachi, Pakistan. The ship's manifest was doctored to modify the truth and conceal the nature of the hidden cargo carried by it. While the Ku Wall Sands crew tried to prevent Indian customs officers from boarding the ship, North Korean officials descended upon the port to unsuccessfully secure release of her cargo consisting of 170 tons of metal casings, missile components, 22 technical instruction manuals in the Korean language, personal mail addressed to Korean scientists in Pakistan and large hampers of Korean processed food. The seized manuals gave both Indian and US intelligence officers their first insight into Pyongyang's missile prowess. In December 2002 in the Arabian Sea, the Spanish Navy intercepted a shipment of North Korean Scud missiles and they were bound for Yemen. US spy satellites and ships had been tracking an unidentified ship in the Arabian Sea. The ship named Sosan was unflagged and improperly registered. Though it refused to stop when asked to do so, it did not resist the armed takeover by the Spanish Navy. The Spaniards discovered 15 scuds under 40,000 bags of cement. The cargo of scuds was claimed by the Yemenis. Looked at this matter thoroughly. There is no provision under international law prohibiting Yemen from accepting delivery of missiles to North Korea. While there is authority to stop and search, in this instance, there is no clear authority to seize the shipment of Scud missiles from North Korea to Yemen, and therefore the merchant vessel is being released. Yemen has given the United States assurances that it will not transfer these missiles to anyone. I think the testing back in 1998 of the Pakistani, I think it's the, the Gwari missile, clearly was, in effect, a proxy test for the North Korean Nodong because all of the U.S. assessments are that that missile was based on Nodong technology. So I think the Pakistanis have been able to benefit in supplying this technology to countries like Iran and Pakistan in that the testing of such missiles by these two countries uh, also provide information uh, to the North Koreans about the reliability of their missiles and their technology. Built and conceived entirely with Chinese assistance and close supervision, this heavy water reactor at Kushab is the central element of Pakistan's program for production of plutonium and tritium for advanced compact warheads. The Kushab facility, like the uranium enrichment one at Kahuta, is not subject to IAEA controls and safeguards. This reactor is run by the Pakistan Atomic Energy Commission, as opposed to the Dr. A.Q. Khan Research Laboratory that runs the Kahuta facility. The Kahuta facility was built by the infamous Dr. Abdul Qadir Khan and is based on using gas centrifuge technology for enriching uranium to make nuclear weapons as opposed to processing plutonium. Dr. Khan, who in the early 70s worked for a Dutch research laboratory called FDO, stole this technology from URENCO, a tri-nation British, Dutch and German consortium, which was using FDO as a subcontractor. China also contributed in enabling the Kahuta complex to obtain operational capability in producing weapons-grade U-235. After completing the theft of technology and classified information and establishing a fast supply chain from Holland and Germany, Khan fled to Pakistan, where, with the government's funding, he set up the Dr. A.Q. Khan Research Laboratories and started to build the Pakistani bomb. Khan was convicted by a Dutch court for espionage and sentenced to a three-year prison term in absentia. 
In later years, the Khan Research Laboratories also started assembling North Korean missiles, thus making the laboratory a comprehensive nuclear weapons establishment. Pakistan successfully established a network of front companies to purchase and ship dual-use equipment from a network of European suppliers for its nuclear program based on uranium enrichment. This network, created under the guidance of Dr. A.Q. Khan, was invaluable as it had a catalogue of almost 4,000 suppliers. This qualitative information passed on to North Korea will definitely have played the role of a multiplier in enabling Pyongyang to leapfrog almost 10 to 15 years in its ability to weaponize a nuclear device made from enriched uranium based on the URENCO centrifuge technology. The German hand in Pakistan's nuclear program has been significant. In August 1993, customs inspectors in Bonn intercepted a Pakistan-bound shipment described in the bill of lading as ballpoint pen refills. On examination, it was found that these were high-tech precision parts employed in centrifuges for the production of weapons-grade aluminium and have no other use. The German companies involved in this trade belonged to this man. Alfred Mige, who was sentenced to six months of imprisonment for having supplied a complete uranium processing plant to Pakistan. Other material was also supplied by him. According to intelligence reports and the testimony of a Korean-Japanese defector from North Korea's nuclear program, Mr. Kenki Ayoyama, the Yongbyon nuclear plant is actually a gigantic nuclear complex which has plants for both reprocessing plutonium and enriching uranium. All these plants are underground, fed by a network of tunnels. The purpose of the complex is to produce nuclear bombs. Intelligence sources feel that Yongbyon has received substantial inputs from Pakistan's Dr. A.Q. Khan's laboratories, at least as far as the uranium enrichment plant is concerned. Towards the end of 2003, a series of clandestine meetings took place in Tripoli, Libya, between CIA and Libyan officials. The Libyans were prepared to abandon their nuclear program in return for a lifting of sanctions, upgradation of their oil industry and reintegration into the global hydrocarbon marketplace. CIA teams visited a top-secret underground site near the Kufra oasis in the Sahara Desert in southeastern Libya. During the Second World War, this area was the bailiwick of the British Army's famous long-range desert crew. At the Kufra site, rows of P1 and P2 centrifuges arranged in cascades to enrich uranium were found by the CIA teams. There were almost 4,000 centrifuges which the Libyans confessed came from Pakistan. The shopping bags included warhead designs and scientists and technicians. Suddenly, this remote oasis in the desert became an international hotspot. By January 28, 2004, a plane carried 25,000 kilos of such equipment and documentation to the Oak Ridge Laboratories in Knoxville, Tennessee for evaluation and study. The rest of the heavy equipment that remained was shipped to the US by sea. Libya's Pakistan connection was troubling because Dr. Khan had provided Libya, long on the US list of terrorism sponsors, all the tools it needed to make an atom bomb. Dr. A.Q. Khan's network provided the North Korean nuclear program with an alternative way of manufacturing nuclear fuel after the North Koreans had agreed under the 1994 agreed framework to freeze their reactors and their reprocessing facilities. The Khan network provided North Korea with P1 and P2 centrifuges, drawings, sketches and technical data, as well as depleted uranium hexafluoride gas. 
It is clear that the North Koreans began to undermine the agreed framework almost simultaneously as it was signed. It was also in 1994 that then Pakistani Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto travelled to North Korea at the request of the then Army Chief General Abdul Wahid Kakkar. Her trip was followed by the first of Dr. Khan's 13 trips to North Korea. General Kakkar's successor, the Pakistani ambassador to the US, General Jahangir Karamat, also secretly travelled to North Korea in December 1997. The relationship that Pakistan developed with North Korea was a strategic relationship and not a commercial one under the private ages of Dr. Khan. The reputed American journal The New Republic reported that Dr. A.Q. Khan squarely put the blame on General Kakkar and General Karamat who set up the terms of the barter deal between North Korea and Pakistan. Pakistan also successfully test-fired the Ghori ballistic missile in April 1998. This was a clone of the North Korean Nudong missile. Implicit are claims that President Musharraf must have been aware of the Pakistani-North Korean agreement, given that after becoming army chief in October 1998, he also took over the Ghori missile program. The man who built this unsafeguarded Kushab reactor, Mr. Sultan Bashiruddin Mahmood, relied extensively on illicitly procuring all equipment from abroad, apart from what was provided by the Chinese. Mr. Mahmood had also worked on the uranium enrichment program of Dr. A.Q. Khan. However, because of Mahmood's involvement with Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden, after 9-11, he was placed on the FBI's most wanted list and President Musharraf placed the lid on this can of worms by putting Mahmood under house arrest and preventing US intelligence from extracting the truth. According to the December 12, 2001 Washington Post, Mahmood admitted that he had long discussions with Al-Qaeda officials in August 2001 about nuclear, chemical and biological weapons. I, I think where it was, the threat I think was very great that if, if Al-Qaeda had stayed in Afghanistan, help, had help from Pakistani scientists, they worked with the cover of the Taliban so they could import things dual-use things illegally, there's a, a great risk that, 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 um, great risk that um, Al-Qaeda would move to developing a nuclear weapon. They'd have to acquire the highly enriched uranium or plutonium overseas, but, but they would have an indigenous capability. We call it a quasi-state program. But what we don't know is how much classified information did Mahmoud and Majid actually, and others, it wasn't just them, um, how, how much information did they collectively give Al-Qaeda that could turn out to be useful in building a nuclear weapon later, once they can re-establish themselves or, or just re-establish themselves someplace else. I don't. Al Qaeda could make a dirty bomb anytime it wants. It could have radioactive material. I mean, it was so plentiful and so easy to obtain. And these scientists um, may or may not have discussed that. My understanding is from the reporting that they did discuss that with Bin Laden. Even if the threat posed by the Pakistani-North Korean nuclear tango choreographed by the Chinese and the Pakistan-North Korean barter trade in nuclear-capable ballistic missiles and nuclear warheads developed from enriched uranium is controlled, the export of missile production equipment and the establishment of uranium enrichment facilities in Iran and North Korea have already occurred. Furthermore, the testing and refinement of North Korea's Nudong and Taipodong ballistic missiles by Pakistan has already taken place and the results and conclusions shared with North Korea. Finally, the transfer of know-how, equipment and materials to develop nuclear warheads through the enriched uranium route have also been transferred by Pakistan to North Korea and to Iran. Proliferation was completed long ago and both Pakistan and North Korea are nuclear weaponized states with ballistic missile capabilities of varying range. It is hard to believe that after all this, backroom exchanges between the two have ceased forever or that they were only commercial in nature, part of a renegade network. The effect of these exchanges have extended well into the future. As Dr. A.Q. Khan puts it, it is only a matter of sorting out the public outcry and convincing the Americans that all is well and will be well. Of course, the shadow of Al-Qaeda will continue to loom large over this issue. 
Before he went public with his apology, Dr. Khan is seen in a very warm conversation with President Musharraf. Not the fate of a publicly censured criminal, but the sacrifice of a loyal citizen of Pakistan. It was a, an extremely uh, fine and helpful meeting, cordial. The president was extremely kind and understanding. We discussed this uh, ongoing affair, international campaign against Pakistan about nuclear matters. Uh, I explained to him all the things. I gave him the background, uh, what was happening, what had happened. And uh, he appreciated the frankness with which I uh, gave him the details. And inshallah, he will discuss with the cabinet, with the prime minister and, and other colleagues. And then he will take a decision how to proceed about it, how to close this matter. In July 2023, at a grand parade in Pyongyang, North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu and Chinese Communist Party Politburo member Li Hongzong talked, laughed and saluted as North Korean troops marched and weapons rolled past. But there was no sign of anyone representing Pakistan. Since the parade included North Korea's latest Hwasong-17 and Hwasong-18 intercontinental ballistic missiles, which are believed to have the range to strike anywhere in the United States, were these three leaders signaling the reality of their new strategic alliance? Undoubtedly, time will reveal all.